invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. It's one of the last books in the New Testament. So near the back of your Bibles, we're in Hebrews. I'm going to read a couple of verses from chapter 4 because it leads into our passage. The passage that will be on the screen will be 5, verses 1 to 10. But I'm going to begin in Hebrews 4, verse 14. This is a description and a calling to draw near to Christ, who is our great high priest. Uh, Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14, but I'll read through 5, verse 10. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Our Father, we are humbled as we come to a rich passage, a passage that is packed with the glories of the priesthood of Jesus. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And Lord, would you expose our hearts before you and help us to see the the riches and the beauty of Christ that we would be transformed as we worship him in this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have had the experience of either designing or coming across an unattainable job description. Have you ever had the experience of looking for an employee? You start to list all the things that you would like that person to be. I want them to be loyal, I want them to be fair, I want them to be an honest person, I want them to be hardworking, I want them to be very competent at what they do, uh, that they don't need a lot of uh, people drifting over their shoulder to help them do what they need to do, but I also want them to delegate very well, they need to be able to train other people. And as the list goes on, you realize, I don't know that there's any human being that could possibly attain to this job description. You may have a desire to find a babysitter for your kids 
and you think, I need them to be very confident to oversee my kids and take care of them, uh, but also very patient with them when my kids are doing the wrong things. I want them to be able to drive so I don't have to go and pick them up. Uh, but also they need to have not other commitments, and uh, hopefully they'll take 750 an hour for this job. And you're thinking, there is no one in the world who does all of those things. Uh, well, the description of a priest in this passage reads in some ways like an unattainable job description. Like there is no one who could possibly attain to all of the things said in this passage. And we're going to see there's almost a certain kind of a contradiction in the text. Uh, the, the high priest is very, very gentle in dealing with people who are ignorant and wayward and even has to offer sacrifice for his own sins. And yet we know about our Savior that he never sinned. And so there's a question in our minds even as we read this, is Jesus actually able to fulfill this kind of job description from the Old Testament high priests if he never sinned at all? And we'll see that Jesus not only fulfills the job description of the high priest, but he surpasses the glory of the priesthood of the Old Testament. Unlike when you hire someone and on paper, man, their resume, resume looks so good, and then you actually get to know them and they're like, oh, it's kind of a disappointment. This employee is not exactly what everything that was cracked up to be. Jesus surpasses and is wonderfully, perfectly a good high priest and we see that he is fulfilling completing the ministry of his priesthood in verses 7 to 10 not only on paper being a good high priest but in reality actually living that priesthood out and that completely transforms us as we uh, cast ourselves on his mercy and find uh, grace and help in our time of need well why is this text here in hebrews well, we've seen that Jesus is greater than the prophets of the Old Testament. Jesus is greater than the angels. The angels serve God. Jesus is God. And so, as you are told in the book of Hebrews, not to lose focus, not to lose attention on Christ, chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay much closer attention to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. The antidote to drift is the superiority of Jesus over and over and over again. This is the flow of the book of Hebrews. There's going to be some warnings, some callings not to drift away, not to fall away. But the answer to that drift is not to look toward yourself, not to say I need to fix myself or prepare myself or change myself, but to look up and outward to the glory of the superiority of Jesus. We've seen that Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses was a servant in God's house, the book of Hebrews says. Jesus is the son set to inherit everything in his father's house. And now we come to the greatness of Jesus over Aaron. Aaron was the great high priest of the Old Testament, the first of the high priests. Jesus will vastly surpass the glory of Aaron and his priesthood. So let's look first at what this high priest was called to do in the Old Testament. What is a high priest? Well, we see in verse 1, every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. 
In the Old Testament, as, as you oriented yourself toward the presence of God, you were either coming toward a tabernacle or coming toward a temple at one time, at least in the year. But you yourself could not go into the depths of the tabernacle or the temple. You couldn't pass the altar into the holy place and then even into the holy of holies. You had to go represented. You had to go with someone bearing your name or bearing your tribe into the very holy presence of God. We struggle with this idea of representation as modern Americans because we like the idea of immediate uh, access immediate uh, relationship with God. It's just me and God, and I am uh, right in God's presence. Well, that was a dangerous way to think if you were an Old Testament Israelite. God is a consuming fire. You don't come into directly the presence of God unrepresented on your own. It is dangerous for a sinful people to come right into the unmediated presence of God. And so a priest would have to go on your behalf. And we'll see that a priest had to take a sacrifice and offer cleansing for himself first and then for the person that he was representing. Think about the implication of representation for prayer. Jesus is going to fulfill this Old Testament picture of the priest. And think about how this principle of representation changes the way that you pray. We as Christians have been told by Jesus to pray in my name. What you ask for in my name, I will do or the Father will give to you. And Paul Miller in his book on prayer uh, speaks about this principle of representation in prayer very beautifully. He says, Imagine that your prayer is a poorly dressed beggar reeking of alcohol and body odor, stumbling toward the palace of the great king. You have become your prayer. As you shuffle toward the barred gate, the guards stiffen. Your smell has preceded you. You stammer out a message for the great king. I want to see the king. Your words are barely intelligible, but you whisper one final word, Jesus, I come in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, as if by magic, the palace comes alive. The guards snap to attention, bowing low in front of you. Lights come on. The door flies open. You're ushered into the palace and down a long hallway into the throne room of the great king who comes running to you and wraps you in his arms. See, we in the new covenant still need a representative. We still need someone who will bear us to the Father, who will act in relation uh, for us, representing us to the great king. We need a representative. And we pray in Jesus' name because we believe Christ represents us. He carries us and presents us beautifully before the Father. But we see second in this job description of the Old Testament priest, not only representation, but also acting gently with a weak people. This Old Testament priest acted gently toward a weak people. Hebrews 5, verse 2, he can deal gently with the wayward and ignorant since he himself is beset with the same weakness. That term beset is a word used in other places, other contexts in the New Testament for something that's tied around you uh, very, very tightly. So Jesus will say in Mark 9:42, anyone who leads one of these little ones astray, it would be better to have a millstone tied around their neck and to be thrown into a deep 
lake where Paul says in Acts 28:20 20, that he has been bound with a chain for the hope of Israel. And the Old Testament priests were beset, they were bound up with weakness. And because of that, they could deal gently with people who came and who were ignorant and who were wayward. But notice that the, the, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, because of this weakness, he has to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. There's many references in the Old Testament to the priests needing to offer sacrifices for their own sins. On the Day of Atonement, this was true. The priest would come and he would offer a sacrifice for himself. And think about what that told the priest time after time after time, year after year, as he offered sacrifices. He had to be thinking to himself, I am no different than the people that I represent. I've been appointed for this very honorable job, but I myself am just as sinful as all these people. Always two sacrifices. Always a sacrifice first for the priest saying, I am a sinner in the presence of a holy God. And then secondarily, bringing representation for the person who had to be cleansed. And there's a problem again in this job description as we're thinking about how Christ fulfills this, right? Because how could Jesus deal gently with those who are wayward and ignorant because he has to offer sins for himself? Well, that's something that is not true about Christ. We saw in the context right before that we have a high priest able, verse 15, to sympathize with our weakness, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And we saw that there's a great strength in Jesus' overcoming our temptations. He's unlike us where we very quickly give into and are overcome by our sin and our temptation. Jesus was, was uh, tempted in, in all the same ways, with all the same weaknesses that we have and the same circumstances that we walk through, yet without sin. And so I'd like to suggest that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament priesthood even more greatly in that he was beset with weakness, he was tied up with our infirmities, and yet never fell into our sin. And he is able to save even more greatly for this reason. Tempted in every way, yet without sin. And there's a third description then of this priest in the Old Covenant. That was that he was very, very humble. Notice verse 4. No one takes this honor for himself. And then verse 5. So Christ did not exalt himself. Uh, this is something that is very, very uh, off the, the known radar for ourselves. We're very, very used to self-promotion, to putting ourselves forward, or to uh, knowing that people only get ahead by getting their foot in the door and pushing forward and representing and choosing and honoring ourselves. And the Old Testament priest, there was only one of them, the great high priest. He had to be appointed. He had to be humble enough to receive the appointment of God. And Christ himself even, verse 5, does not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but is appointed by him. And so we see these three descriptions of the priests of the Old Testament. 
that they're representative of the people, that they are gentle in dealing with weakness, and third, that they're appointed by God and don't put themselves forward. Well, why do we need a high priest? Why can't you just go directly to God and have a direct relationship with God? Why do we need a high priest? Well, this comes, as we've seen, in the context of the warnings in the book of Hebrews not to drift away. I already mentioned chapter 2, verse 1. Let us pay much closer attention to what we heard, lest we drift away. The author of Hebrews is very concerned for us to listen carefully to, to the word of God. So Psalm 95 has said, as long as it's called today, as long as you hear the voice of God speaking to you and addressing you, do not harden your heart. Listen carefully when God is speaking, because today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart as the Israelites did when they fell in the wilderness. So chapter 3, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Or chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Why do we need a high priest? Because by nature, you and I are tempted to fall away, to stray from the promises of God, to see the glories of heaven presented to us and to say, I want to go my own way. I want to find joy and peace and satisfaction in anything besides the awesome and glorious salvation that God has given us. And the thing that shows us our hearts, the, the wayward nature of our hearts, is Scripture. We saw in chapter 4 this description of God's Word. The Word of God is living, and the Word of God is active. And it pierces all the way into our hearts and exposes us before the living and true God. And if you have been exposed. I used a silly illustration of being exposed as a kid. If you have sensed that you have come into the glorious presence of God, totally ashamed of your sin, uh, naked before him, the text says, before the one that you're going to give an account, you need to be covered. You need to be loved and graciously received. And that's why this passage is here. When God shows you your sin, when you are ashamed and naked in his presence, he says, don't run from me in those moments. Don't try to hide yourself. Don't run in your shame and try to cover yourself. He says, draw near. He urgently says to us this morning, draw near to me as the great and final high priest. Draw near to Christ. And this is why we need this great and final high priest, because our hearts are prone to stray. Well, I want us to see, third, how Christ became our high priest, how Jesus became our high priest. As I said in the introduction, not only does Jesus fulfill kind of the, the written job description of the Old Testament priest as our representative, as the one who is gentle with those who are wayward and ignorant, 
And as the one who is humble enough to wait to be appointed, he lives that reality out. He's not like an employee that you hire and then you're disappointed with the reality in them. He has all of these attributes and then he lives them out in reality. And we see that in verses 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Uh, the, the, the term that will be used here for perfection is not uh, the term for uh, being free from flaws. We can be confused by why this is speaking about Jesus becoming perfect. Uh, this came up in Hebrews 2, verse 10, that, that the Father should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. But it's speaking about being complete. Christ became uh, the, the complete high priest through what he suffered. And uh, the way that Jesus performed his high priestly office all throughout his life was living a life of dependent prayer. Christ uh, walks through a whole life of probation. Imagine if you're coming to your job, you've come through the the, uh, job interview, and your uh, future boss says to you, well, just so that you know, we do do this probationary period at the beginning before you get benefits and a full uh, pay increase. You need to walk through this probationary period. And by the way, it's the whole length of your job. You will always be in this probationary period. Uh, you would say, well, I don't know that I want this job. Um, but the, the nature of what Christ has to go through in the days of his flesh is lifelong probation. He's always fulfilling this calling that he has been uh, called to fulfill, a life of prayer. He offered up prayers and supplications. We see what this looked like in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. You remember, Jesus takes his disciples and he says to them, Come and pray with me. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and praying, said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The priest who would fulfill the Old Testament expectations of the priesthood will say all throughout his life, not just in the prayer of Gethsemane, but in the the full days of his flesh, is the way the author describes this, he will pray throughout his whole life, Lord, Father, if there is any way that I can avoid this great cup of suffering that's headed my way, allow this cup to be removed. And the priest who was tested and tempted in every way throughout his life, yet without sin, had the cup of all of our sins slowly filled up And he says to the Father in these prayers and supplications throughout his life, if there's any way for me to avoid this judgment and wrath that I am preparing myself to face, let this cup pass. Jesus patiently obeyed the Father 
He says in this prayer, but not my will, but yours be done. And the author of Hebrews says he was heard because of his submissiveness or his reverence. And you have to ask, in what sense was Jesus heard? If he asked that the cup would pass for him, that he wouldn't have to go to a cross to face our judgment and our wayward hearts and our sins, in what sense was Jesus delivered? And the answer is, not by avoiding sufferings. Not by the Father saying, okay, you don't need to walk the way of death and rejection and judgment. But he was heard in the midst of his sufferings. He was delivered from death and raised powerfully out of the grave. Jesus did not avoid suffering and being cursed for our sin and being judged for our sin. But he was heard because of his reverence and raised powerfully from the dead. And verse 8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and became complete. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So you're addressed very, very specifically this morning with this passage. Your heart is prone to wander. Your heart sees the glories of heaven. My heart does this too. And I say, in the moment, I want something that will satisfy me right now. And the call to you this morning is, do not reject the voice of salvation. Do not turn away from your high priest, but come toward him, approach him. He has fulfilled the full job description of the Old Testament priests. He goes into the presence of the Father, representing you. When you are wicked and ignorant, when I am ignorant and wayward, He deals so gently with you. He's been beset with weakness, but never fallen into sin. And He humbly waits for the appointment of the Father to become this great high priest. And we need this priest because of that wayward nature. And Jesus has lived the life of lifelong prayer for you and for your salvation. And as we come to the Lord's table, if you've professed your faith, if you've turned to Christ, you're going to get to drink a little tiny emblem of God's love for you. You're going to drink a cup of God's blessing. The, the a book of Corinthians describes this as the cup of Christ's blessing. And the reason you get to take this cup and to drink God's blessing is because Christ took a cup of wrath and judgment and drank it all the way to the bottom. And he became the source of eternal salvation for us. And the Father answers the prayers of the Son not by allowing him to avoid suffering and judgment and death, but he walked patiently, obeying the Father joyfully, so that you could be redeemed, so that you could be brought back and loved and received and given the cup of Christ's blessing today. Raymond Brown says this, and we'll close with this. We live in an impatient society, and the idea of humble submission, patient waiting, steady perseverance does not make a ready appeal. But the way of Christ was the way of persistent obedience. All his life was given to it. He strongly resisted the temptation to have it affected in a spectacular and supernatural moment. He resolutely pursued the will and purpose of God. 
He knew that it could not be achieved in a magical minute. And his perseverance, his sufferings, his, though he was a son, he was made perfect and uh, uh, dedicated, appointed to be a priest for eternal salvation. All of that is yours today as you cast yourself on his mercy, as you come to him, the high priest who, who has a throne of grace for you, you find grace and mercy in your time of need. So come to this one who's fulfilled the job description of a high priest perfectly and who cast himself on the mercy of the Father all throughout his life and found salvation through resurrection on the last day and earns that salvation for you too. Let's give thanks to our God. Our Father, we thank you for the perfect priestly intercession of Jesus. Lord, thank you that we find in you a finally lasting satisfaction and peace. Thank you, Christ, that you were forsaken for us. You were condemned so that we would have life. And you joyfully faced all of these sufferings, Lord, entrusting yourself to the one who judges justly. Lord, we pray that our mercy, our peace uh, toward others would be based on the joy and the love that you have had toward us and your Son. And Lord, help us to deal gently with those who are ignorant and wayward, Lord, because we know that you do that toward us, Lord. When we do not know uh, the way to go and when we are lost, you bring us back. And thank you for the living tokens of this that we will get to partake of at your table. Uh, We pray that we will be able to rejoice at your table uh, today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite the elders to join me at the front as we uh, prepare for the Lord's Supper.